So our scripture verse for this morning is, is this, and it's the theme verse for our youth. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And there's, there's so much packed into that verse that we're going to try and unpack it today. Keyword on try. So we've been in the series, seeing God in them. What does that mean for our youth? Right? It's, it's easy for us to, to pause and look at other cultures, look at other countries, look at different people in different situations. But a lot of times we don't stop and think about that with our youth. Do we see God in them? How do we see God in them? Because if I'm honest, okay, so, so I'm the pastor, and usually people come to me wanting to confess things, but I'm actually going to confess to you guys this morning. Here's the deal. I don't understand Generation Z at all. And I'm the youth pastor. See, ever since I stepped back into youth ministry three years ago, I honestly have never had to work harder, do more research, and, and unlearn every single thing that I knew about teens and young adults and youth ministry. And, and, and this is coming from a guy who's worked with youth for over 20 years and has three teenagers at home. Although my wife would say four because she would include me in that equation and I'm sure there are a lot of other wives out there that would do the same. But the reality is Generation Z or, or iGen, as they are referred to, basically anyone born from, from 1995 to 2012 sees the world vastly different than any other generation before them, including millennials. Now, I know that every generation sees this, especially because I'm a Gen Xer and I do not want to be associated with boomers. And I can honestly say that boomers would not want to be associated with Gen Xers either as I get dirty looks. But <laughs> iGen really is different. And, and, and here's what I mean. See, uh, up until iGen, the, the physical world, this space right here, was, was our primary realm, if you would. It, it was, it's our primary source for reality, our primary source for information, for understanding, all in this physical space. It's, it's where we connect with one another. It's what shaped our reality. But with iGen, it's different. See, with iGen, the physical world isn't their primary reality. 
the digital world is their primary reality. It's where they connect. It's what informs them. It's what fills their space, where they gather information, everything else. And, and even if we're the parents that say, well, my kids aren't online that much and this and that and, and everything else, well, that's great, but guess what? Their friends are. And their friends are the ones that are informing them and shaping them and filling them. And so even if our kids aren't necessarily the ones where the, that digital realm is the first space, they're still in a culture that is. And honestly, COVID has just ramped that up and amped that up even more. I mean, all of our kids were going to school virtually for most of the year, if not all of the year. And here's the thing. For every generation before iGen, we can take or leave the digital world. It's a fun add-on. We like to play games. We like to search the web for things. We have our social media accounts to you know, varying degrees, but if we really had to, eh, we, could, we could put it aside. It's not true with iGen. And the issue is how we see the digital world. They're starting to see the physical world. But the problem is you can't leave the physical world behind. It, it, it's not just an add-on that can be pushed to the side. See, and, and this has created a ton of chaos. Because when your primary source of, of reality doesn't link up with the physical realm, there, there's turmoil, there's, there's, there's chaos. See, the digital world plays by a different set of rules than the, the physical world, and, and we know this. But the rules aren't clear, and, and they don't line up. And so we get confused, especially our youth. And what do we do when we get confused? We retreat. We run back to what we know so that we can anchor ourselves in that and we hold on tight. Because for most of us, we're afraid of what we don't know or what we don't understand. It's hard for us to put ourselves out there and that is what we're all experiencing right now to a greater or lesser degree. Due to COVID, the advancing speed of technology, the information explosion, social media, politics, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. We don't know who or what to believe. It's, it's confusing. It's overwhelming. 
And the, the problem is our youth are feeling the effects of all of this confusion and, and chaos and change on a deeper level than we ever did. Because while we're anchored in the physical world, they are more and more anchoring themselves in the digital world. And, and here's how this is playing out. According to psychologist Dr. Gene Twinge, uh, who happens to be one of the, the world's leading experts on generational traits and trends, here's what she said. In America, today's teens develop slower and are more dependent on adults than previous generations. In fact, on average, the emotional, mental, and cultural maturity markers of today's teens are three years behind previous generations. In other words, today's 18-year-olds are where we were at age 15. I saw a lot of light bulbs just go off. Second thing she said is, iGen is the most risk-adverse and cautious generation in recorded history. And, and we see this all over the place with this hesitancy to, to try new things, with the emergence of safe spaces, with trigger warnings being put on everything and cancel culture on the rise. And the third thing that she said is this, depression and anxiety are at an all-time high amongst teens when compared to teens of previous generations. And they took all of the studies going all the way back to the emergency, emergence of teenagers in the first place, which is a relatively new category. That's overwhelming as a parent, as a youth pastor, as an adult. But it, it makes sense if we think about it because just like us, our teens want to be and feel safe. Who doesn't? But they don't. And so they retreat into what they know, a digital world where they can be whoever they want whenever they want, however they want it. And when they don't get what they want, they can just erase it and start fresh. No worries, no problems. Unfortunately, this isn't how the physical world works. Thus, the disconnect. Truth be told, we as adults aren't doing a great job teaching them about how the physical world actually works. And this is where I turn and I point the finger at myself as I share this. So please hear that I am right in this with everybody else. See, there's a reason for iGen's dependence and three-year delay, and we have to own it. See, according to the research, we, as adults, as parents, have become too overprotective and have made things too easy for our youth. It just got really quiet in here. 
I mean, that's how the terms helicopter parenting and lawnmower parenting came into existence. And if you aren't familiar with those terms, here's a simple way to, to understand them. A helicopter parent is one who hovers over and shields their kids from getting hurt. In fact, iGen has been referred to as the bubble-wrapped generation. Not my words, Dr. Twinge's words. A lawnmower parent is one who cuts down their kids' opposition, fights their kids' battles for them, does their hard work for them, so that their path is smooth and pretty and consequence-free. That way they don't have to deal with it. And their kids just keep doing what they're doing. We all struggle with this to one degree or another. It's, it's not black and white. Sometimes our kids need an advocate. Absolutely. Sometimes we need to say no, and we need to protect our kids. And sometimes, and for some of us many times, maybe we take it too far. Because the reality is none of us wants to see our youth suffer or hurt. But in a world that is increasingly chaotic and confusing, it makes more sense to prepare our youth for it instead of trying to protect them from it. And that is what has started to happen. We as adults feel it. We see this digital, physical, chaotic fusion, and we struggle with it. And because we struggle with it, we don't want our kids to have to deal with it, so we protect them from it. But then they don't know how to deal with it. So how does this line up? Why get uncomfortable? Why get, whew, it's really quiet in here, you know, today. Because according to the scriptures, like, I mentioned earlier, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's handiwork. Our youth are God's handiwork created to do great things. See, I believe it's our job to help our youth discover and become all that God has, has created them to be, and in turn, to do the same for others. This is how we see God in them. And this is exactly, when, when I stopped and I thought about it, this is what the Apostle Paul did for Timothy. So in the scriptures, the Apostle Paul writes a couple of letters to a young guy named Timothy. And exactly how young, we aren't really sure. But it was young enough that, that Paul knew Timothy would have a hard time being taken seriously. Okay, youth, 
moment of honesty. How many of you don't feel like you're taken seriously? You can raise your hand. Everybody's going, yeah, but they're too scared to raise their hand. This is what I mean. Regardless, Paul saw potential in Timothy. He encouraged and mentored him and then placed him in charge of the Ephesian church as a young guy. Paul said this to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, here's the thing. Paul wasn't the only one who saw God in Timothy. In his second letter to Timothy, Paul encouraged Timothy when he wrote, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, and here it is, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. Now, there's so much in this passage that, that we could talk about, but, but the key is this. It's the faith of Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. See, here's how it works. Timothy's grandmother Lois saw God in Eunice and invested in her. Eunice, in turn, then saw God in Timothy and invested in Timothy. And then Timothy, as a young man, while being mentored by Paul, who also saw God in him, saw God in others and invested in them as the leader of the Ephesian church. Here's the deal. Parents, grandparents, guardians, adults, regardless of the influence of the digital world, of social media, of school, and of friends, you, as parents, grandparents, and guardians, still have the greatest influence on your youth. And all of the research backs this up. Regardless of what you feel, you have the greatest influence. What you say and do matters. It matters a lot. And so as I was thinking about this, I thought, what better way 
to give us some tools and some ways that we can do this than by having one of our incredible youth come up and share those ways. And, and I will say this before I invite this amazing youth up. She came up with these on her own. These are hers. Take it seriously. It's powerful. So with that, before I invite her up, because I'm going to make her suffer and sit there for a minute, I'd like to have our table crew youth bring the table and chairs on up. Ben wants to be a youth. But he's not. Thanks, guys. And with that, I would like to invite Miss Maya to come up and join me. Hi, Maya. You need a mic. Hello? Is it on? Oh, it is on. Okay. Hi. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. How old are you? I'm 13 years old. And... Brothers and sisters? Uh, one older brother, Colin, who is somewhere in there, and a little brother, Luke, who's downstairs. Awesome. Yeah. Middle school? Uh, I'm going to go to Libby Middle School it's in Richland. What do you love to do? I love to play music, because he saw me playing the drum up there, and I also like to do photography and exercise, all that good stuff. Awesome. You ready for this? No. <laughs> Tough. All right. So, Maya. Yes. What are some good ways we as parents and adults can help our youth discover and live into the amazing life God has for us? All right. I've got four main points. You ready? So, number one. All right, so adults and parents should model and teach us perseverance and grit. So when we're nervous or when we don't want to do something or follow through on something that's good for us, make us do it. Don't wait, wait, do wait, it wait, wait, for wait. us. Can, can you say that last part again? I just, I just need to hear that last part. <laughs> um, if we don't want to do something, make us do it. <laughs> don't do it for us. <laughs> just, just check it. <laughs> So um, I'm going to be honest and say that I am not the best at math. I don't like it. It's been a struggle um, for a while, or like forever. <laughs> and my parents saw how much I struggled with it, and they try and help me understand the lesson or question that I'm stuck on. And I can admit I don't put in as much effort into math as I should. Sorry, guys. Um, and when my parents... Um, when my parents do help, they explain the question, and I basically try to get them to tell me the answer, which helps me in the moment, but later on the assignment or review or test or whatever, I end up not remembering how to do it. So teaching us grit is not what we want, it's what we need. And it'll help us in the future when we don't have our parents alongside of us. And mom and dad, <laughs> I can tell you that my attitude for math will hopefully change this year. Maybe. I, I'm just looking at your parents' face to see their reaction. 
right. All right, so number one, model and teach us perseverance and grit. Number two. Number two. Number two is to prepare us for the future. Parents need to teach us to think for ourselves. So teach us how to think instead of telling us what to think. And when you tell us no, as you definitely should as parents, challenge us and explain why you said no so that we understand. So point us in the right direction and have us do the research as to why you said no, and then sit down with us and talk about it. Sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the payoff? I mean, you get to learn. Yeah. All right. Can you give us an example? Sure. So I have wanted Instagram for a little bit, and I'm a person that loves art and music and photography, and I thought I could get some ideas from it. Um, and my friends had it, so I was like, oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> um, so I asked my parents, but they said no, and they told me the effects that social media has on kids. And now coming from my parents at the time, I didn't want to listen. <laughs> and instead of leaving it there, my parents challenged my brother and I to do the research with them so we could see firsthand the pros and cons with their guidance. And we sat down and watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix together and talked about it afterwards. So sit down with us, point us in the right direction, have us do the research and then talk about it afterwards. And also, I'd encourage all of you to watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix with your kids. It's extremely powerful. If you haven't, it is really eye-opening. So, teach you how to think instead of telling you what to think? Yep. I don't know if I like that one. <laughs> As a parent, I just want to tell you what to think and you just need to... <laughs> You okay with that? Sure. No. <laughs> All right. All right, number three. Number three is to share your life and include me. Let me be a part of your life and experience it whether I want to or not. Your hobbies, passions... Wait, 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 wait. What? Like dishes? Sure. Anything else you need her included in on while I've got her up here? <clears throat> Just checking. All right. Paying bills? Sure. All right. <laughs> so share with us your hobbies, passions, work, and responsibilities, and encourage us to grow, even if we don't feel the same way you do about something. So, for example, my mom loves to run, and I don't like running a lot. <laughs> I saw my mom's love for running and I wanted to try it. So after a couple runs and some workouts, I realized that I just didn't like it. It wasn't for me. <laughs> and at the time, I was doing a gymnastic class and I realized that my mom, um, that the love my mom had for running was the same love that I had for gymnastics. And my mom showed me her love for something. And even though I didn't like it as much, it connected me with my mom. It taught me something about myself and pushed me to grow, and it helped me to realize my passions and to experience something about someone else's passions. And now, because I can see her love of running, I like it just a little bit more than I used to. Which is funny, because I'm going to be doing track and cross country in the fall. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. All right. All right, number four. Number four. This one's probably my favorite. 
Number four is to challenge us to do things outside of our comfort zone. So if you see us stuck in a rut, or we say that we're bored, challenge us to try something new, even if you think we may fail. And if we do fail the first time, help us to improve so we can be successful the next time. At my old church, my parents challenged me to help out with a children's sermon for our youth Sunday, and I really didn't want to do it. Um, but my parents were there, and they cheered me on. And I remember just like sitting in that pew, waiting for like my cue to go up, and I'm like, I can do this, I can do this. <laughs> but I got up there, and I got up front, and I was doing it, and I felt great. And I got a good response from the congregation. And afterwards, I started to do some research on public speaking, and I've done a couple talks here and there. As you've seen, I've done Bible reading and stuff. And uh, without the encouragement from my parents that first time, I don't think I'd be up here today talking with you guys. So how do you think we're doing so far? Doing pretty good. <laughs> so give Maya another hand. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Guess what? What? You're free. <laughs> nice job. Nice job. If we think about what Maya said, and, and I had to think about it because as she was sharing these, I'm processing them and, and rolling them through my mind, and I'm going, man, that's a lot of work. Because a lot of times as parents, as guardians, grandparents, whatever role we have with our youth, truth is, it is a lot easier to just tell them what to think, than to actually sit down with them and teach them how to do the research, teach them how to process, how to think, so that they can wrap their minds around what's going on. It's hard at times inviting them into our lives. And we know this because the truth is, if we do it on our own, we get it done way faster. And so we're just like, okay, if I, if I do this with my kids, it's going to take three hours. If I do this myself, I can knock it out in 10 minutes. 10 minutes wins. It's what we do. In order to teach them grit, and follow through, we have to have grit and follow through. And that's hard. And if we're going to challenge our youth, we have to be willing to step outside of our comfort zones and try and do new things. See, the, the, the truth is, Everything that Maya said, we have to do ourselves. And that's hard. But our youth need it. If we're going to help them discover and live into all that God has called and created them to be, we have to be willing 
to live into all that God has called and created us to be. And that's scary because we have our own hurts and hangups and fears. And we like to do things on our own and it's just easier if we do it ourselves and everything else. But the issue is our kids have picked up on that and they've embodied it. We need to see God in them. And quite honestly, as we invest in them, we grow and we change and we become. I mean, I think about Paul and Timothy. We're still reading about that 2,000-ish years later. I mean, think about that. Paul saw God in Timothy. Timothy led this church as a young man. And we're still inspired through that today. What stories will our kids inspire? Because we saw God in them and we invested in them because we were willing to challenge them because we were willing to teach them what to think because we made them follow through and in turn we followed through because we experienced God's love and we poured God's love into them. In a way, it, it's kind of a theme throughout the scriptures. I mean, where in the scriptures does God look at God's people and say, no, no, you just relax. Here, pop up the recliner, have a drink. I got this one. I'll take care of this for you. If I think about it, there's only one time in all of Scripture that God actually did that. And that was when he went to the cross because he knew that we couldn't do it. But everything else, God was saying, you got this. That's why I put you there. And then God called person after person after person after person after person after person outside of their comfort zone. And the vast majority of them were like, no, no, I don't want to do this. Forget it. Well, God wins. They did it. And we have those stories and we're still talking about them today and they're inspiring us to do the same. This is how we see God in our youth and this is what we do for our youth. I can't imagine what it must have been like 
when Jesus first walked up to the disciples, right? And, and we don't know if Jesus had encounters with them beforehand or, or whatnot. What we do know is that Jesus went up to him and said, hey, drop everything and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Okay, let's be honest. If someone came up to you, and by the way, some of them were married, some of them had kids, so you can't use family or marriage or careers or anything else as an excuse, just saying. But if someone came up to you and said, hey, drop everything, come and follow me, and I'll change the world through you, what would you say? Yeah. The disciples said yes. And they followed Jesus. I think it's really funny that the first miracle that Jesus did was to heal Peter's mother-in-law, which I don't know if I would have asked for that, but just kidding. Chris, if you're watching, I love you. You're the best. Um, what kind of grit must they have had to drop everything? What kind of families invested in them so that they were willing to drop everything and follow Jesus? Because they did, we're here today. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he looked at his disciples, the ones who had given up everything to follow him. And he said, I'm going to give it all up so that you can become. I am going to become broken so that you can be made whole. 